you're listening to the Wise Wife Podcast. So you want a better marriage? Well then buckle up, buttercup. You're in the right place. Last week, we broke down the Hebrew definition of Ezer Konegdo and how that differs from a lot of our translations in English and even what most of us have been taught a helpmeet is. Make sure you go back and listen to that if you haven't already. We talked about the foundational ways that we can be a powerful helpmeet, about creating your Eden, right? What is that warm and welcoming space and and home that your husband can truly thrive in and that you can thrive in as well. I talked a little bit about how misled many of us are into thinking that those simple tasks are beneath us and that they're not fulfilling as a woman and how surprised I was when I actually did feel fulfilled So moving off of this sort of creating your Eden, which I think is a really big, big first step in ways of being a powerful helpmeet, there's other things we can do that are outside of the Eden concept. And that is we are rescuers, right? That was the Ezer definition. We are set to spiritually battle for our husbands and our family. That means praying, fasting, being obedient, all the things that I just listed in creating an Eden, that's obedience, guys. It is an act of obedience to humble ourselves and do what would be in today's world seen as less than, seen as little, as nothing. I'll never forget living in Switzerland has a very conservative society. And I filled out my form for my cell phone. And there was a question of employment status in America. What checkbox are you looking for when you see employment status? Unemployed. That's the one we get to check here, a subtle message that you are a detriment to society. And in Switzerland, there was an actual checkbox for Hausfrau, German for housewife. Not stay-at-home mom even, just Hausfrau. (laughs) And I remember seeing that box and it was like this huge revelation of, I have lived my whole life believing that I am somehow a detriment to society if I choose to stay home and not work. And it was a real eye-opener to see this other culture that valued women staying home and raising their families. But that is obedience. These simple things of cleaning and keeping our house. Listen, I have a housekeeper. Like, I'm not telling you that there's one way to do this. But where is your heart? Is it that I will not clean this house? Because I'm not that. I I would clean my house. I do clean my house every day. I'm constantly cleaning. You could walk in my house right now and it would be clean. But that's because I'm constantly coming at it as this is my Eden. Okay, we need to know this. It's about the heart. It's not that I have a housekeeper who cleans my house. It's that I have a heart posture that's open and willing to clean my house. So when we are obedient in these things, that's how we spiritually battle because we have to have obedience to God if we want to see him move. And we should be praying and fasting and fighting for our children's salvation, for our husband's salvation if he's unsaved, and for the growth in our family and in each one of those people and ourselves. (laughs) Another way that we can be a really powerful helpmeet is by making social encounters easier. Okay, some of us have husbands who are social butterflies, and some of us have husbands who really do not like social events. 
so it becomes a real bone of contention, right? Where it's like, he's making excuses for why he doesn't want to go, why he can't go. How do you make those social events easier for him? Whether it's Thanksgiving with the family, or it's your church friends, or work functions, understanding that sometimes those are stressful and men don't typically love going to those things. Some do, I know some do, but most men don't typically love going to your work event. They don't like it. They have to put themselves on. And it's going to manifest in anger. They're going to be cranky. They're going to say things that are mean. And you have to see past what they're saying to you and recognize that behind that is some fear or there's discomfort with these social engagements. So how can you create a better environment? How can you graciously cover him in those moments? That's just something for some of you to think of because I know that it's a common thing. Another way to be a powerful help meet is I talk about in the book creating a safe place that is judgment-free for him to grow and explore self-development. We all want our husband to grow and to be a better man, a better husband, a better father. We want these things. We see the areas where they're lacking and we want to just teach them and coach them and lecture them and impress upon them all of this intuition we have. And that is wrong, 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 wrong. It's not our place. I literally struggle with this every day. I'm just going to be completely transparent. I'm not perfect in this. I just know when it's happening now and I either choose to keep going and sometimes I do, and then I pay for it, or I choose to back off and pray instead and let God work in my husband. But creating that safe place, which I do talk about at length in the book, is a judgment-free zone, right? It's like being an actual team. And even though he might say and do things that you are like, what are you doing? It's about allowing him the space to explore what's right and wrong in his own growth. And it takes time. And the only way you can do that is by trusting God for the outcome. And I would go back to episode five, how to not lose hope and listen to what I talk about in the Stockdale paradox and why that is actually so important to be focused on the outcome of what you're working toward and not the, not the circumstantial middle ground. Another way to be a powerful helpmeet is be financially prudent and a good steward of all you have. Honoring him with your finances and how you spend. If your husband is saying, hey, you got to stop the Starbucks, why have you not stopped the Starbucks? I know there are women out there. I've coached some of you who have husbands that are terrible spenders. They're blowing money all over the place on crap that they should not be spending money on. God is going to teach them a lesson. But if you are doubling down on that by also being inefficient with your money or spending in areas that you shouldn't be, God is not going to step in and teach your husband a lesson until you learn yours. You're both learning a lesson at the same time. And it's going to suck because he's just going to keep hitting your head against that brick wall. And then you're going to keep pointing your finger at him and his spending to justify why you are entitled to spend the way you spend. It's not good logic. Because that is saying that you're sinning, so I get to sin, and I'm justified in my sin. So no, you're both sinning now, and you're making the situation even worse. So who's going to be the bigger person? Is God calling you to obedience so that he can then step in and teach your husband? Because that's typically what I see happens. He calls me to obedience, 
And in turn, he steps in and he solves the problem with my husband. I don't have to solve it. God does. That's what you want. Being a good steward of all you have is more than just how you spend your money. It's also how you take care of your home and your material possessions so that you're not being wasteful, right? That means meal planning and actually following it so you're not throwing food in the garbage. As one woman I know says, it's cash in the trash. Like It's, it's being a good steward of everything you have. Another really powerful way to be a great and faithful helpmeet is to edify your husband. And to order to edify him, you have to actually start believing those things. You need to believe that he is called to be a great husband and father, even if he's not being it right now. And please, please, please do not publicly edify your husband all over Instagram with all these lovey-dovey posts if you are not like that at home. If you are in marital strife and then you go on Instagram and put up a how great a man he is post, that is not honest, genuine edification. That is an insult because he knows you don't think that because he knows how you treat him at home. So believe first, focus on believing who he is in God's eyes. Start changing the way you think of him. Repent of the ways that you have belittled him in your own mind. I talk about this and flip the lie in the book. If you think one thing and it's death over your husband, like he's never going to hold down a job. Well, guess what? He's never going to hold down a job. You just made sure of that because what you think becomes what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your mouth becomes your reality. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. That's it. This biblical truth. So if you're thinking these things, you're going to say things that reflect your thoughts, and then you're going to create that in your husband. Because no man rises up to become a better man from underneath the condemnation of his wife. It just doesn't happen. They will, I I talk about this in the book, men will rise to whatever expectation you have of them, be it good or bad. So edify him personally, publicly, But first, to get there, if you don't actually believe he's a good person and a good man and a good father, then get with the Lord to ask the Father to show you with your spiritual eyes the man that he is. Behind all the fear, behind all the trauma, behind all of the outward circumstances that are actually just the fruit of his hurt and sin and choices behind that to who he really is. Ask the Lord to show you that. Finally, I want to say that this did not make my husband's list, okay? I'm going to read you his list, but this final point that I'm going to make (laughs) was not on my husband's list. I was kind of surprised. I guess he probably thought it went without saying. But his list, he said some ideas so far. And in brackets, you do all of this already. Oh, that was sweet. Thank you. Peace in the home. This includes physical peace, like tidiness and cleaning, but also an attitude of peace. Provisions, meals and groceries. Wise use of our money. Help with planning for our goals. I thought that was great. Being the primary caregiver. Date night weekly. Keeping yourself ready. Fit, sober, and sharp. So 
I'm not a detriment to Tim. You know, that's what he means there. I am fit, I'm healthy, and I am not drinking all the time. Okay, for those of you who are having a glass of wine or two every day, one of the reasons I stopped drinking wine regularly is because I realized I was not in a full sober mind. Like, yeah, it was one glass of wine. It's not a big deal, but I wasn't being fully present for my children. And so I stopped drinking wine in the evenings. And now it's just a special occasion thing. That is what he's saying there, like being ready. Like if someone broke into my house, I am fully armed and ready to defend my children and my home. I do not need Tim to save me. I may ask him to if he was home. I'm for sure going to have him be the one who defends me. But if he wasn't there, he knows he can trust me to be healthy, fit, sober-minded, and ready. So that was really interesting points that he brought up that I didn't think about. But the one that he didn't put, which of course we're all thinking of, is a way to be a powerful helpmeet is sexual intimacy. If you are not making sexual intimacy a vital part of your relationship, you are asking for trouble. You are asking for sin to come into your marriage because it is very clearly written in the word that we are not to deprive one another, that it is a protective measure that keeps us connected. And I will tell you that in our restoration, there were many years where Tim did not love me when we got back together. He was very clear. I talk about that in the book. He was very clear that he did not love me, but he was willing to give it a shot for our children's sake. And I chose to be intimate, knowing that every time, even though I did not feel connected emotionally to him, he was 100% keeping me emotionally disconnected from him intentionally. He talks about that in the foreword of my book. But even still, even though it was a one-way street and I was not getting the emotional connection that I needed or the emotional security, I chose to make intimacy a regular part of our marriage because I knew of its healing properties. I knew that every time we were intimate, I kicked Satan in the teeth. He's like, not today, Satan. Every time I humbled myself and honored that biblical command to not deprive one another of sexual intimacy, I knew that God was going to bless that obedience. And so I prayed. I'm telling you, there were days I was just like, Lord, you're going to have to help me because I do not want to be with this man. Like he does not love me. And he does not want to be with me. In his mind, he's with someone else. I feel so used. I feel so taken advantage of. But every time the Lord met me, Every time he met me in that, that's why I've said on a podcast once that there's three people in my marriage bed, me, my husband, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it's true because ladies, there's just times where we don't feel like it and we've got a million other things and our bodies are different, you know, and d- different seasons of life too, different hormonal levels, having babies and, and then like perimenopause and all these different th- things and reasons for why you can, again, justify your defiance. I could sit and I can justify my defiance or I can sit back and go, Lord, I hear you. I want to be obedient to what you're calling me to because I know it is what is best for me, but I don't understand it. And I need you to help me. And he will meet you. 
You can create a powerful, peaceful Eden. You can nurture and care for and serve in all these practical ways. You can spiritually battle for your husband. You can make all the social encounters easier. You can create that safe place and judgment-free zone. You can be financially prudent and a good steward of all that you have. And you can edify him publicly and privately. But if you are withholding sex from him, none of those things will be blessed because that is defiance and disobedience to God. You will be wasting your time and it will be futile. On the contrary, (laughs) I know women who are just really good at having thriving sex lives and their homes are disasters. (laughs) No, I'm not saying that that's right, but I'm saying it's amazing what a man can put up with when he feels sexually fulfilled and satisfied because it makes him feel like the king of the world, that his wife wants him. Suddenly it's just easy to like overlook all the other things that are stressing him out. So of these things that we have spoken about, choose the one that you know the Holy Spirit is nagging at your spirit. (laughs) Choose the one to focus on this week that you know in your heart is where you have been defiant. And watch what God will do. As we wrap up, I'm going to read Proverbs 31. Because while she may not have actually existed, she was a picture of a powerful, strong helpmeet. Proverbs 31, 10 to 29. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is worth more than precious rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She will not hinder him, but help him all her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She is like a merchant's ship. She brings her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes out to inspect a field and buys it, and with her earnings she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She watches for bargains. Her lights burn late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household because all of them have warm clothes. She quilts her own bedspreads. She dresses like royalty in gowns of finest cloth. Her husband is well known for he sits in the council meeting with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs with no fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and kindness is the rule when she gives instructions. She carefully watches all that goes on in her household and does not have to bear the consequences of laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Lord, let us be a wife of noble character. Let us understand the call that you have on us to be rescuers to be strong, and to be perfect opposite to our husbands. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Wise Wife Podcast. Go to wisewifeblueprint.com and download your free battle strategy. These are the five things you must do if you want to see breakthrough in your marriage. And remember, it takes two to save a marriage. You and Jesus. Jesus.